Oh my goodness. What a college football playoff semifinal doubleheader we had. That was outstanding. That was, as college football fans, truly everything we could ask for. Two A-plus games, two different styles, two dramatic wins, all coming down to the final play of both games. Oh my goodness. Outside of Michigan, outside of Washington, we the fans, easily the biggest winners from New Year's Day. But let's now dive into both of these games. I'm going to give you my biggest takeaways from each. Let's start with the second game first. Washington 37, Texas 31. Let me tell you, it ain't a Washington game if it ain't coming down close at the end. Holy cow, every single game, they need a kick, they need a stop, they need a drive, and every single game, they do find a way to come through and win the game. Biggest difference for me, it's obvious, but it's true. Quarterback play. Washington won on Monday night because their quarterback in Michael Penix Jr. was head and shoulders better than Texas's quarterback in Quinn Ewers. And there's two things I want to kind of break down here as to why that happened and why you should not be shocked, frankly. Number one is, look, we need a, a, a moniker for Michael Penix Jr. For in some sort of big game. Big game Mike, I don't know. You you are more creative than me. If you have a better nickname for him, please let me know. But, but he needs one. Because every big game this season, Penix has shown up, has risen up, and played a, a tremendous game. This guy truly plays his best in the biggest moments. And that was no different on Monday night. And that is, again, a trait that we talk about a lot from quarterback. Whether it's in the NFL or college football, we always get frustrated with quarterbacks that put up gaudy numbers against bad teams, like Dak, like Kirk, now like Tua. But when the big boys roll around, shrink down and don't play great. That ain't MPJ. Penix is a guy that consistently has played his best games in the biggest moments. Stats reflect that. Like this year, Washington has played six ranked teams on their schedule. In those six games, Penix has completed 64% of his passes for 1,801 passing yards, 300 yards per game average, 16 touchdowns, three picks. He's been tremendous. He has outplayed every single quarterback he has played this year, whether it's Bo Nix, whether it's now Quinn Ewers, he has been Caleb Williams. Penix has come and risen and defeated the moment every single time. And Monday night was no different. 430 passing yards, two touchdowns, completed 76% of his passes. This was a this is a guy that truly plays his best in the biggest moments. And if you're an NFL scout, that's got to be your biggest takeaway. Arm strength, incredible. Accuracy. I mean, he puts balls into windows and tight windows more consistently and better than maybe any quarterback I've ever seen. It is unbelievable how consistently good he is at dropping the ball in, even if the coverage is tight. But this is a guy who consistently plays his best in the biggest moments. That is a, a huge reason why if you are right now an NFL scout, you got to be putting Michael Penix Jr. on your board and thinking long and hard of, can this be a guy that works for us? He was tremendous. But the other thing that's so impressive, of for me at least, um, from Monday night's game from Penix's perspective, is the fact that Washington was one-dimensional. And now I know what you're saying, well, Ryan, of course they're one-dimensional. Great receivers, great quarterback. They pass it all over the yard. 
Yes, that is who they are, right? They are at heart a pass-first offense. But the last month of the season, they have established a really good balance where they ran the ball really well. Dylan Johnson was really coming on in the month of November, and they were an offense that, yes, was pass-happy, but also had a tremendous run game to balance it out and consistently leave defenses off balance and not know how to play them. And in this game, not only, again, did Penix throw for 430, complete 76% of his passes for two touchdowns, he also did it primarily single-handedly. There was no run game to lean on. And I thought coming to this game, Washington would run the ball well. Not outstanding, but well enough to keep Texas honest. I know Texas has a good defensive line. And they deserve a lot of credit. But Washington won the Joe Moore Award, best offense line in the country. Again, Dylan Johnson did come in banged up, but was getting hot in the last four or five games of the season. I thought we would see an offensive attack that, yes, would have a lot of, uh, a lot of success in the pass game, but would run the ball better. And what makes Penix's um, numbers so much more impressive is the fact that 31 carries for Washington on the ground, just 102 yards, 3.3 yards per carry. So again, the, the run game was not a factor whatsoever in this game, and it didn't matter. Texas, they have a bad pass secondary. It's it's uh, the biggest weakness on their defense and the big reason why I thought Washington would win this game. And obviously that played out on Monday night. But it is a lot easier, even with a bad pass defense, to try to slow Washington down when you don't have to worry about the run. When the run game is not really a factor. And even with that being the case, even with, with Texas not respecting and not allowing the rushing attack to get going for the Huskies, it didn't matter. This guy was still throwing seeds and darts and dropping it in the bucket time after time after time. And that's what makes that 430, two touchdowns, really 76 completion percentage so impressive is Texas knew what was coming, knew it was coming, still couldn't stop it. That's how you know you're a real one. And that's also why at times yesterday watching that game, I got flashes of like 2019 LSU. With Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, there to me at times during that semifinal game, I'm sitting there watching like, this reminds me so much of LSU because of the ease of which they would go right down the field and score. Uh, when Joe Burrow's out there, it was like a shock if that offense did not score a touchdown. They go up and down the field, no problem, no defense was slowing them down that year. And Washington was getting rolling, especially late in that first half where touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. It's like Texas gets a stop. Texas holds them to a field goal. It's like, whoa, what a big time win for the Longhorns. That offense was rolling. Anytime Penix dropped back, it's a wide open receiver deep. And that's another thing too with the 76 completion percentage. They threw the ball deep a ton and hit a ton of these passes. Accuracy, the playmaking at receiver. Again, it, it reminded me so much, again, at times of the 2019 LSU team, not just because of the ease of which they were running the ball, or I should say moving the ball on offense, especially in the pass game, but it's also Penix, like Joe Burrow, rose up and in the biggest games played his best football. And there's no reason to think next Monday night, we won't see that again against what is a very stout, physical, tough Michigan defense. No reason to think Penix will now get shoved into a corner and have uh, no success offensively. He will. The opponent does not matter. 
There is no slowing down this Washington offense because their quarterback rising up and playing his best in the biggest moments is the exact reason why. And defensively, look, again, they've gotten banged on defensively all season long. Rightfully so. It's not a good defense whatsoever. But the thing I've been saying all year long with Washington's defense, they don't get a lot of stops. They don't get the stop they need. They are a clutch defense. And we saw it again on Monday night, made it a, a lot closer than it should have been. But Texas is moving the ball down the field, get to the, uh, get to the 12-yard line, four plays to, to win the game and go to the national championship. And what did Washington's defense do? Four stops. Pressure on Quinn Ewers, some big passes defended. They got the stop they needed in that game. Didn't get many, allowed 31 points. Pass defense got chewed up again, allowed Texas back into the game after it seemed all but over. But Washington, all year long, they don't get a lot of stops. They get the stop. And they got it again on Monday night. No surprise there. It's not a good defense. It's a clutch defense. Been saying it all season long. Played out to perfection right there in the Sugar Bowl on Monday night. Now, one thing here that I... Look... Here we go, talking about the referees again, whether it's the NFL, whether it's college football, we're talking about the refs. Look, I don't understand the rule that if an offensive player gets hurt, that the clock stops. I don't understand that. Like, if you're Washington and Dylan Johnson gets hurt, Texas has no timeouts left. How is it possible that the clock does not start until the ball is snapped? How does that make sense? I know there's a 10-second runoff, or it should have been that Texas rightfully and obviously declined and said, oh, no, no, we're good with the no, no runoff. But I don't understand how that like that rule makes sense. Unfortunately, Dylan Johnson got injured. Once he's off the field, why doesn't the play clock restart? Or why doesn't the game clock, I should say, restart, and you act like nothing happened? Th- that, that rule to me makes no sense. It almost cost Washington the game. I'll be honest, I have no problem with Kalen DeBoer's play calling in terms of not taking a knee and instead running the ball. With Texas having two timeouts, the one thing that, well, two things couldn't happen. Fumble, which they didn't happen, but allowing the clock to stop, which they did happen with, to me, what is a freak event in an injury? I'm not going to kill Kalen DeBoer. I'm not. I was not, I'll admit, smart enough in the moment to say, what are you doing? I watch this. Okay, no problem. This is exactly what you got to do. You run, you know, you take three or four seconds off the clock with each snap by handing it off and forcing Texas to make a tackle. I thought it was fine clock management. Injury happened. Um, but at least for me, no criticism on Kalen DeBoer's part. Criticism for Steve Sarkeesian, though, on the flip side, thought he called a pretty good game for the most part. I thought he was aggressive. And I think at times... In his career, he is definitely skewed towards playing not to lose versus playing to win. I think that all flipped and changed in an Alabama game earlier this season. He was aggressive. He learned from last year's Alabama game at home in which he lost that playing conservative doesn't win you games. I think he learned from that loss last year, and that's a big reason why Texas beat Alabama this past year in Tuscaloosa. But So I thought overall he called a pretty good game. That, those final four play calls, man, that was pitiful. 
You get down to the 12-yard line, a huge shot play to Winnington and get you inside Washington territory. A nice dump off to the running back blue. Um, they get you down to the 12-yard line. You're at the 12-yard line, four shots at the end zone, and you target A.D. Mitchell one time? The biggest guy in the field who the last possession, jump ball, gets a touchdown, and you don't think to throw it more uh, or earlier in his direction than fourth down when everyone knew it was coming? And that got easily swatted away. How are we not targeting A.D. Mitchell? How are we not targeting Xavier Worthy more? Where, where was it? That, that, that Sark's play calling, those final four plays, I thought was pitiful. A dump off to the running back that had nothing. I know one of them, one of the plays that was just a, a tremendous defensive playing by Washington breaking free and pressuring Quinn Ewers early. Um, on third down, that forced him to throw the ball out of bounds uh, with one second left on the clock. So I can't get on him for that. But, I mean, I, Greg McElroy, big fan of his. I thought he was tremendous on this broadcast. He's pointing it out. I thought he's 100% right. You have Worthy and you have Mitchell on the same side. He's talking about double post. With one safety there, you're going to get a one-on-one look with one of your two best receivers. That seemed like an easy touchdown. I'm sitting there rooting for Washington saying, Shoot, Greg's right. I hope no one from Texas is watching. This is an easy touchdown. And didn't call the play, didn't dial it up, didn't put the receivers in a in a good chance to succeed. I thought that was just pitiful. Pitiful by Sark down the stretch there, play calling wise, um, for the final four plays inside the 12-yard line with a chance to go to the national championship game. Not a very good sequence from Sark whatsoever. So Washington wins. And boy, let me tell you, they do what they do best. Win close games. How about this stat from Fox Sports? This was now the 10th consecutive win for Washington in which they won a game decided by 10 points or less. That's the most in Division I history. Over 50 years, no team has won 10 games in a row decided by 10 points or less. Washington has done it. They have lived on the edge all season long, but they are clutch. And that's, again, why driving down the field defensively, they haven't gotten a lot of stops. They, though, don't panic. They got the stop. And that's also why you see Michael Penix Jr. win a lot of these games late because he is money in these big games, in these big moments. So Washington wins another close game. They go to the national championship game on the back of their quarterback and Michael Penix Jr. He was outstanding, tremendous in this game. Oh, so happy for Washington. Big time win. Also, I mean, we can't lose out on the irony. Last year, the Pac-12 gets gets just criticized nationally for never having teams win on the big stage. Just us fun, soft football out there on the West Coast. Last year, the conference, of course, let's have a team from the conference about to go away in the national title game with a great chance to win a national championship. They will be playing Michigan, who won just an absolute slugfest against Alabama, 27-20 in overtime. My biggest takeaway from that game is this. Michigan did to Bama what Bama does to everybody else. Push them around physically, capitalize on opponents' mistakes. That's what Michigan did. Michigan beat Bama at their own game. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. I'll give Michigan a lot of credit. I had my doubts. I did not think the Wolverines would win this game, in large part because I did not think 
Michigan could win the game if they had to pass the football. I really thought Alabama was going to sell out to stop the run and force Michigan to beat them in the air. And they did, at times, force Michigan to have to beat them in the air in the fourth quarter, especially. And to Michigan's credit, they did it. But up until that point, what is so impressive is the fact that Michigan didn't need to throw the ball a ton for the first three quarters of the game because they pushed Alabama around. They were physically superior on the offensive line and on the defensive line. When was the last time you could say that? When was the last time you could come away from an Alabama game and say, wow, those boys got pushed around? I mean, maybe two or three times in Nick Saban's career at Alabama, we could say that. But Monday night at the Rose Bowl was one of those times. 75% of the game, I thought Michigan just totally bullied Alabama. Bullied them. On the offensive line, every hole was opening up. Blake Corum was getting five, six, seven yards of carry. There was a push where, I mean, it felt like he he was running for seven yards of carry, but the first five yards, no one would touch him. The offensive line, that was banged up for Michigan, by the way. We're dealing with some injuries. Still able to get a significant and consistent push on Alabama's front and on the other side, Alabama's offensive line did not stand a chance against Michigan's defensive line. Six sacks, 10 tackles for loss, and it's not like the six sacks are, are right stand out. But when you watch Alabama play, watching Jalen Milrow get sacked a lot is not exactly a shock. He's the most sacked quarterback in the NFL, but in large part because he holds onto the ball a ton. He's slow, sometimes slow to see the defense, sometimes hesitates, double clutches, doesn't know where to throw with the football, and that leads to the pass rush eventually getting home and sacking him. That, though, was not the case on Monday. Like, a lot of those sacks were not coverage sacks or indecisive sacks on Jalen Milrow's perspective because he's holding on to the ball too long. They were ball snapped. Milrow's not even done in his drop, and there's Michigan, two guys crushing him or forcing him to roll out, then eventually chasing him down. A lot of those sacks were Michigan's defensive line and linebackers winning off the snap. Winning and boom, in the backfield immediately. And that is a huge reason why Michigan won this game. They never allowed Alabama's offense to get on track whatsoever. And what's also to me so impressive about Michigan's performance, not just the fact that they were physically superior compared to Alabama for most of the game, it's also the fact that they lost that physical superiority at one point in the second half and gained it back. Like for the first two and a half quarters, Michigan just flat out bullied Alabama, pushed them around, made them their little brother. But about midway uh, into the third quarter, through about midway into the fourth quarter, Alabama took it. Like the proverbial tide turned where all of a sudden now Alabama's offensive line They're the one getting the push. They're the one now running the ball and and establishing the line of scrimmage. They're the one defensively stuffing the run for Michigan and forcing Michigan now all of a sudden to abandon the run in the fourth quarter because they were consistently getting behind the chains. And so what's so impressive and why Jim Harbaugh deserves so much credit is because you lost the game in the trenches in the biggest moments. Again, That 15-minute stretch between the third and fourth quarter, it was Alabama's game because they were winning the line of scrimmage. And Michigan got it back. 
And Jim Harbaugh deserves so much credit because I'll be honest, in this game, I did not think he stood a chance against Nick Saban. Harbaugh's been a guy that has not done well in bowl games, lost his last six straight. Obviously, two just complete duds in the college football playoff the previous two years getting physically destroyed by Georgia, and then last year just making mistake after mistake against TCU, this has not been a team when they have extended time off. They have not spent it very well. They have not played a clean game in the playoff or either, or I should say in previous bowl games. And whether it's a practice adjustment, whether it's a mentality adjustment, whatever Harbaugh changed this year compared to the last two years, I give him a lot of credit because it obviously worked. Again, we talk about Alabama. It's rare to see Saban, uh, a Saban-led team, just get physically dominated at the line of scrimmage the way Alabama did in this game. It's also rare to see a Saban-coached team, the more undisciplined team, the more rattled team in this game. Harbaugh deserves credit for having his guys cool, calm under pressure, and composed. Special teams was a mess. That's We'll just throw that out there. Special teams for Michigan was a car, a car crash. A, a car, it was a dumpster fire. That's probably the better, the best way to say it. Absolute dumpster fire. But Harbaugh, to his credit, did not allow special teams gaffes to roll over into the offense, roll over into the defense, and have his team just drop their head and lose confidence. I mean, think about it. Michigan is, is not in the position they were in on Monday night very often, trailing in the fourth quarter of a big game. The, the three-year run they've had, they've lost three games. Two playoff games and one time of Michigan State in 2021. That's it. So they've won a ton of games, and they've also won a ton of games when they've got out to an early lead and salted it away. They don't have to come back a lot. Like, yesterday, <laughs> yesterday tied their biggest comeback in the fourth quarter. Seven points. Again, they are rarely trailing in these games And so that is, I think, a negative in a situation like Monday night where all of a sudden now you are losing in the fourth quarter of a big game. Alabama, even though it's a young team, but Nick Saban, he knows how to win these games. He knows how to put them away. Michigan does not have a lot of experience of coming back, of needing a big drive in the fourth quarter to win the game or extend the game. And that's why Jim Harbaugh deserves so much credit in those big moments Michigan was the cleaner team, the more aggressive team, and executed a lot better. They look like they've been in those big-time games and won six national titles, not Nick Saban in Alabama. And that's a huge, huge credit to Harbaugh. He not only won the physical battle and had his guys ready to play, he also won, I think, the mental battle in this game where the mistakes they made did not roll over and compound, and they did not lose their composure in the fourth quarter. It's funny, we were at a bar watching this game, and it was a, I mean, either a lot of Alabama betters, or all of a sudden in New York City, we found the the Alabama bar on accident, where everyone there is rooting for the tide. And one guy came over to our uh, our friend group right after Alabama, uh, I believe scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter to take the first lead of the game. And he comes over and goes, look, Alabama, we're built for these moments. Fourth quarter pressure, we're used to it. We live in these pressurized situations. And it looked at the point, right? This is at the point of the game where Alabama has the momentum. They're winning the line of scrimmage and Michigan looks rattled. And I swear, as soon as he said that, the game flipped. 
And that's where Michigan all of a sudden defensively started to buckle down, offensively looked calm and executed. And I give J.J. McCarthy so much credit because a big reason why I picked Alabama to win this game was even though Alabama's rush defense is not very good, I figured Nick Saban in the three weeks he had to prepare would do everything possible to sell out to stop the run and force J.J. McCarthy to beat him. And I did not think McCarthy could do it. You look at the big games this year, Michigan does not, I mean, the way Michigan has called plays against Ohio State and against Penn State, even against Iowa, it didn't feel like they trusted McCarthy. It felt like they were afraid to put the ball in his hands and and have him make a play. And so I look at that game, I'm like, if they have to throw the ball here, I don't think Michigan's confident he could do it. These receivers don't scare me whatsoever. Like, they can't win the ball passing. And you know what? I was wrong. I was wrong. J.J. McCarthy, in the fourth quarter, down by seven, needing a big-time drive to keep the season alive, did it with his right arm. It's so impressive. I give him a lot of credit because the biggest plays of the game, not only was the play calling on par, and I thought Sharon Moore was tremendous on those on those two drives, the one to tie the game in regulation, and then the overtime two-play uh, domination, but... The play calling, McCarthy, the receivers making plays, like it was, they they proved me wrong. And I got to get tip my hat and say to McCarthy, to the receivers, to Harbaugh, to Sheryl Moore, I was wrong. You were right. You can win a game passing the football when you need to. Tremendous final drive there in regulation, or I guess second to last because that debacle at the end where they had to knee it out on their own goal line just to get to overtime. Obviously, it was technically the last drive. But what's so impressive, too, by McCarthy is the fact that not only was it a clean game, right? 17-27, 221 yards, three touchdowns. The stats don't jump off the page of three touchdowns. Do obviously, but 221 through the air is not exactly eye-popping. Let me tell you, it ain't 430 the way Penix uh, put up there and the way 430 jumps off the page uh, when you look at the box score. But McCarthy, I thought, made a lot of good decisions and... After the first play of the game, where they got lucky in the sense that the heel of the Alabama defender was out of bounds and negated what was, I believe, just a lazy throwaway from McCarthy, where I think he was just trying to throw it out of bounds and instead threw it right to the Alabama defender. Um, after that first play of the game, that easily could have had him spiral, easily could have killed his confidence, easily could have Jim Harbaugh and Sean Moore lose confidence in their quarterback. To bounce back from that, really not put the ball in harm's way again the rest of the game. And then again, fourth quarter, four minutes to go, game on the line, season on the line. To come through a big throw after big throw on fourth down, A-plus execution, A-plus play call. To get Blake Corm out there in space. To find Roman Wilson deep across the field. Tremendous catch by him. Another A-plus uh, play call to get him in the end zone on the sweep, if you will, to kind of hide him behind the line of scrimmage and get him out there on the flat and just outflank Alabama. A plus, A plus, and and Michigan did something I did not think they could do, which is win the game in the air. Tremendous, tremendous play, and again to get the physicality on the line of scrimmage back to where overtime was truly decided in the trenches yet again. It shows you how impressive it was for Michigan where they ran the ball twice, 
two times in the end zone. They just, again, after losing that momentum, got it back and blew Alabama off the ball two times in a row for Blake Corman to score in overtime. And then obviously the infamous fourth down call that, look, I think the best way I can describe it is that Michigan got lucky, mostly. And again, that's that's not a slight at Michigan. They're trying to take away from the win. I think it's true, but I think also, like, it's that's not a bad thing. Like, you look at that final play, fourth down from the three-yard line. Number one, bad snap ruined it all. Like, if you think about it, you had really, I should say, three things go Michigan's way. One, they controlled. Two, they didn't. Number one, bad snap. Timing of the snap threw everything off. That's number one. Number two, with that bad snap, I think Milrow panicked. I think as soon as the ball came in low, he just said, F it. I just gotta I just gotta now just figure out a way to get in the end zone. And I think he just totally ignored the play design and the play call and just instead just put his head down and ran straight into the line of scrimmage. But the thing that Michigan controlled here, that's number three that I give him credit for, is they running into the line of scrimmage was the worst thing Milrow could have done because Michigan blew it up. That right side of the offensive line was in the backfield of Alabama. And they just completely, that, that play was dead where Milrow tripped over his offensive lineman, but it didn't matter because even if he kept his feet, it looked like he was running straight into the teeth of the defense and Michigan in the biggest play of the game won on the line of scrimmage. But... But with that said, and credit to them again, where they, the line of scrimmage decided the game, if that's a normal snap, you look at the play again, Alabama's got numbers on the outside. That looked to be some sort of RPO where you have the running back screen or maybe a counter run there by Milrow. He throws a screen. The Michigan linebacker is late to get out there and foul the running back. If that's a good throw, I think Alabama gets in. I think Alabama gets in. And even if they decide not to throw the screen, if you look at that play again from the behind angle, there's a hole in the left side. If that's a good snap and Milrow doesn't panic and can look at the defense, Alabama's pinning and pulling where they tried to kick out the entire left side of the line, and they did. There is a cutback lane for Milrow right there if he sees it to run left, get in the end zone, and have a chance to tie or win the game. Instead, again, the bad snap, happens. Milrow panics, the RPO is off, and the the cutback is off because Milrow, after fielding the low snap, just said, oh, I just got to get in the end zone, puts his head down, and just tries to run straight for three yards. Again, credit to Michigan, that defensive line came up and stuffed him and won the game at the line of scrimmage, but that bad snap threw it all off. But it goes back to, to give Michigan credit here again, because I'm not trying to take away from what they did, a little bit of luck with the bad snap, but it goes back to execution. Again, Michigan made mistakes, especially on the special team side, but did not allow it to ruin the game for them. And they bounced back and made plays as well to overcome those. Alabama made mistakes and it really was low snaps all game, but that is a situation where low snap, how many times have we seen an Alabama team under Nick Saban still make chicken salad out of chicken you know what? I guess I could curse here, but we'll just keep it family friendly. Just in case. Um, where even if it's a bad play, they're still so well coached, there's no panic in them, and they still find a way to make a play. That's where I think Michigan's defensive line getting pressure for 75% of the game, I think got in Milrose's head. 
With a low snap, he said, oh my God, instead of let's calmly pick it up, let's still look to the running back on the flat, or maybe let's just find, you know, go where the blocking is leading me to. Because the Michigan defensive line all game long was winning, I think that's why the clock in Milrose head sped up to where low snap, and again, it didn't roll back there, but it was a low snap throw off the timing a little bit, but it wasn't like it was a botched play and the game, you know, the play was just blown up from the start. You could have still ran it, but I think that Michigan defensive line consistently being in the backfield threw Milrow off. And as soon as the low snap was there, he panicked because he knew how fast Michigan was getting in the backfield all game long that he didn't think he had time to let the play develop. And that is where, again, Michigan gets credit for because their constant pressure, I think, through the timing off of Milrow, that didn't allow him to go through the progression of the play to where if you're Alabama, you have a chance, really two chances, on the running back screen. And if Milrow reads the block correctly, I think he runs it in for a touchdown. You had two opportunities there for Alabama to score a touchdown that were both gone, I think in part because of the constant wave of pressure Michigan threw at them all game long. Now, it doesn't matter because they didn't score a touchdown. What I'll say here is if they did score a touchdown for Alabama, if I'm saving, I would have went for two. I would have went for two right there to not let this game go any longer. Alabama uh, defensively was gassed, and uh, Michigan got the momentum back offensively, running the ball really well. And offensively, it was a struggle. It was an absolute struggle. where I don't think you could trust Milrow to get another touchdown there if you're saving. I would have went for two, but again, that's a moot point. They didn't score. doesn't matter. Really fast here from the... So that's Michigan's perspective. They are... I give them a lot of credit. I doubted their ability to play well in a playoff game. They proved me wrong. They out-muscled and out-toughed Alabama. Take that, SEC. Big 10 team that you think can't play, can't hang, just pushed you around for, let's say, 50 of the 60 minutes of that game. But also, too, Harbaugh and the offense throwing the ball to win. They're going to need, to, I think, to throw the ball against Washington to keep up with that high-flying passing attack. But they showed you they can absolutely pass in order to win a big-time game. Very impressed with that. If you're Alabama, final thing I want to say here, going forward, I think you need a quarterback change. If you want to win a national championship in 2024, you can't have Jalen Milrow being your starting quarterback. I think you got to go in the portal. you got to find someone. Now, they got Julian Sane coming in, big-time recruit. Is he ready to play next year? I don't know. I don't know. I can't speak for that. He may be the answer. And maybe that's why Alabama is going to just play it calm and, and not, you know, go portal hunting. Um, but Milrow has been up and down all season long. And in that game, man, it was tough to watch. He was indecisive. Again, Alabama, uh, Michigan deserves a lot of credit for the pressure they constantly put on him. That's an elite defense. So it's not like he's struggling against some slap, you know what, defense that can't stop anybody. Milrow was struggling against the best defense in the country, arguably. So it's not exactly a knock, but it was like you watch how this Alabama offense had success. It doesn't feel sustainable for 2024, where it is some sort of deep shots, but is Milrow, like he can make the intermediate throw consistently. And I just don't, I don't see how you can win a national title with the inaccuracy and inconsistency from your quarterback. Really elite runner, but indecisive inaccurate, inconsistent. Those three things from your quarterback going from 2023 to 2024, 
ain't the answer. I think if you're saving here, you got to go back into the portal. You got to see. If, I mean, if it's too late, try to get someone like Will Howard um, into town. Uh, try to get him on your squad. Maybe it's what they did last year, going through spring ball, seeing how Milrow progresses, and then trying to get in the second round of transfer portal quarterbacks that maybe lose out on the position. Now, that didn't work out last year. You got Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame, and now he's going back to Notre Dame to play lacrosse. So it's not like there's going to be a lot of talented quarterbacks um, in that second portal window. It's going to happen um, later in the spring. So, but if you're saving, I just, uh, coming out of that game, great defense for Michigan. I just don't see how you can feel confident going forward and think you can win a national championship in 2024 with Milrow as your quarterback. I think just too inconsistent and just, it, it was, it was hard to watch. It felt like at times watching someone get a root canal um, with this Alabama offense trying to move the ball consistently. It was rough. It was painful. And so I think if, if you're Saban, you got to really look long and hard is Milrow truly the best option for us to win a national title in 2024? I don't think that answer is yes. So insane, insane two playoff games. Uh, we're going to get a, a massive treat here on Monday night in Michigan, Washington. I cannot wait for this game. Um, we'll break it down more during the week. So make sure if you are listening right now on the Hick at Night podcast, night spelled N-I-T-E, subscribe. A lot of uh, content now will be uploaded to that podcast page if you're an audio listener. If you're a visual watcher, check me out on YouTube. Just search Ryan Hickey, subscribe to the channel. A lot of also video content getting uploaded to that YouTube page as well. As we'll still have a lot of breakdown between now and Monday to get you set for Michigan and Washington. One last thing really faster, really, really, really quickly I want to mention. Overall theme of both games and really the last two years. A lot of people, a lot, have been upset about the state of college football. NIL, transfer portal, oh my God, this is ruining college football. Let me ask you this. The last two years of the college football playoff, the semifinals, they were four of the best games we've ever had in the playoff era. Ohio State-Georgia last year going out to the final kick. Michigan TCU, that barn burner last year. This year, Alabama Michigan overtime. Texas Washington going down to a fourth and 12 from the 12 yard line with a chance to win the game. All four games came down to the last minute of the game. Coincidence that now in this new era of transfer portal and NIL, where the last two seasons were really the two that were impacted because they were now felt the most in, you know, whether it's recruiting, NIL, transfer portal, they were felt on the field the most. Coincidence that we got the four best playoff games we've arguably ever had in that era, in this new era now of NIL and transfer portal. A lot of hand-wringing, a lot of panic about the state of college football. And, And don't get me wrong. There is a lot flawed with this great sport we love. A lot. With that said, NIL transfer portal, it's truly even the playing field. It's closed the gap between the elites and everyone else. There's no 47 to 10 blowout anymore in the college football playoff semifinal. There's not. That is a win. And that's a product, I think, of a system that is now starting to promote parity and is now spreading talent evenly across the country. It ain't there yet, but it's starting to. And I think now as a byproduct, we as the fans 
are getting insane games because now the gap in the semifinal is nowhere near as wide now as it was even three or four years ago. These have been tremendous additions for the sport, and we as a consumer, big-time winners, by now two years in a row, getting spoiled with four all-time games. Absolutely tremendous. But oh boy, we should get a fifth one here next Monday night, Michigan-Washington. Again, check out the Hick at Night podcast, night spelled N-I-T-E. For your audio listening, check me out on YouTube, channel name Ryan Hickey. Get your visual content right now uh, for all college football playoff thoughts. We'll be back later in the week to get you set for Michigan uh, and Washington. Let's go!